time, if you'd open to your Bibles uh, to Second Peter, which is where we've been for the past few weeks, Second Peter chapter one, and uh, we'll even make life easy, and I'll give it to you. <clears throat> we come to the end of this uh, this chain of virtues that we've been looking at this morning. And I, I kind of want to read the whole section so we can take it together. Uh, beginning with verse 5, Peter says, For this reason, make every effort. How much effort? Oh, you, you see, it only took like four weeks. That's it. You got it down. Make every effort, make every effort uh, to supplement your faith with virtue. And your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now we've talked about how this is a, a, a set that builds on top of one another, or, or I kind of think of it as, as links in a chain, where you've got a chain and you, you add another link to it, and, and that these are, are, are cohesive and, and logical arguments about the kind of Christian life that we should be living. And so it makes sense then that we would take uh, uh, that moral excellence, that virtue, and we would attach to it knowledge. It would begin to grow in a knowledge of God, And as we grow in knowledge, we read in Hebrews that it's through testing, it's through experience that we learn to distinguish good from evil. So as we expand our knowledge, it would make sense that self-control kind of is the next link in that chain that we're going to attach um, to knowledge self-control. But self-control is only good if it's steadfast, if we're continuing to do it, if you're doing it day in and day out. And so what he's giving us here is a, is a logical link uh, of, of Christian growth, of Christian um, virtue. Now this is different than what we get in other places in the Bible. We might think of Galatians chapter 5 where we have the, the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faith, all these things. And these are sort of, think about joy, like how do I, how do I, how do, I do joy? Like how do I actually practice joy? That's sort of an abstract thought. But this is very concrete. Things that we can actually do. You know very easily, how do I gain a knowledge? As a Christian, how do you gain a knowledge? It's in your hands, right? You've got like 15 Bibles at home. Crack one of them once in a while, all right? I mean, that's, this is very practical. So Peter's thinking very practically. But at the end, we get to the very final like, thing. What's the, what's the crowning achievement? What's the last link in the chain of Christian virtue? What is it all leading to? It's all leading to... Love. Love. That's interesting. I uh, have a passion for learning. Um, and I am always reading somewhere between two and four books about God, about scripture, about church history. I just sort of like voracious. I want to learn more. Uh, but if I knew all mysteries, if I, if I had like my, my grasp of the nature of God, if my grasp of the scriptures was so deep that I was the smartest, the wisest, the greatest Christian to ever live, and without love, what good is it? Right? Let's think about that. You could have 
a, a life that is built on self-control. You could be the kind of Christian who gets up at 5 a.m. and you start praying and you start reading your Bible and you go down to the soup kitchen or you come to the church and help or you call your neighbor and you begin to serve people. You could be the, the person who's, whose life is just completely disciplined or you could be one of those super Christians. You know the kind, right, that, that don't ever watch rated R movies. They, they don't listen to secular radio. They don't date, right? They court And they never let a cuss word slip when they stub their toe in the dark, right? The super Christian. You could be the holiest of holy Christians. And yet if your heart is flint and your heart isn't soft with brotherly love, if love isn't where all of these virtues is leading you, then you are on the wrong path. And you aren't actually practicing this Christian this Christian stuff. I think that's incredible to think of because all of these other things, these, this, this virtue and knowledge and, and self-control and, and steadfastness and godliness, all these things, these seem to be the things that we're after. These are the things we preach about. These are the things we talk about. These are the books that we write. All of that stuff is our obsession. And yet what does it say here? It says, when you get down to it, what's a mature Christian look like? It looks like somebody that loves the church. It looks like somebody that looks at their neighbor and loves their neighbor. It looks at somebody who is their enemy and loves their enemy. It looks at somebody who is lost and sees their brokenness and loves that person. That's, that's the culmination of all of this. And I want you to see that this is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. It's not, sometimes we have it in our mind that, that Jesus was doing something completely new. No, he was revealing the will of God that goes all the way back to the beginning because what happens when the scribe stands up wanting to justify himself, wanting to look smart, wanting to put Jesus in his place and says, what's the greatest commandment? Because there's like 300 of them. Have you read Leviticus? It's a lot. There's a lot of commandments in there. And he stands up and, and Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two things stand the law, stand the prophets. And Jesus is making up something new, right? No, he's quoting. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and he says, have you not been reading this thing? Because here it is. God wants you to love him and he wants you to look at your Jewish brother, for us we'd say my Christian brother, and, or sister, and he wants you to love them. Not with a love of words, but a love of deeds. A love that matters. So Jesus quotes the Old Testament and says, this has all been about love, learning how to love like God loves. And then what do we see with Jesus in his own mission? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now the point, again, uh, the, the, the culmination of this is everlasting life, but what is the motivation? The motivation is that God so loved, he looked at the world, he looked at you, he looked at your brokenness. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, Paul, but I see that you've regussied, so, you know, put the shirt back on. But I, I appreciate that so much. His word, we, we do. Uh, I am normally in pajamas, not ties. <laughs> if you come by the house, I don't look like this, right? Uh, we, 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 we dress ourselves up to look good, uh, but what does God see? God sees your brokenness. God sees your sin. God sees the secret desires of your heart, the things that are so dark that you wouldn't even tell your spouse. You wouldn't tell anyone. You keep that stuff tucked away. God sees all of it, all the way down to the core, and he says, I so loved you that I died for you. The message that we have from 
from Paul, the apostle, the great apostle who teaches all kinds of doctrine, talks about deep and, and, and even confusing things, says these three remain faith, hope, and love. We'll work on that for a few weeks. You'll get it. It's okay. I surprised you with it. But he says the greatest of these is love. And here we have Peter, who gives us this this wonderfully practical chain. I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to control yourself. I want you to to have uh, all of these different things. But when we come down to it, where is it leading you to? It's leading you to brotherly affection. It's leading you to love. And so what we have consistently from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture is a message that says, God so loved the world. He so loved us in our brokenness that he did the unthinkable to rescue us from the grasp of death. To rescue us from our own depravity. To rescue us from the power of the evil one. These two words that we have here, brotherly affection and love, are two Greek words. uh, Both that mean love. The first one is uh, brotherly affection, as it's translated here, is Philadelphia, uh, which takes its root from the Greek word philio, uh, which is to love. Um, and then the, the last one, you've probably heard it before because we like to use Greek words every once in a while to impress other Christians, right? Uh, we say agape, and you, so you've probably heard that word before, which is another, another word for love. And I want to focus on this brotherly affection here for a second because I, I am deeply troubled um, by an attitude that seems to be growing and prevailing in the Christian sphere. I don't know how many Christians I've run into, how many times I've seen blogs, especially blogs and things like that, people talking about how they've left the church. They're tired of the church. The church is so broken. The church has got corruption. They're so judgmental. All kinds of different reasons, but I've left the church. because, and, And that's possible because I have my own personal relationship with God. I'm really, I'm really troubled by that, this attitude, um, because I don't see anything that matches it in Scripture. I'll tell you how I can tell who is a mature Christian. It's not somebody who has knowledge. It's not just somebody who has self-control. It's not just somebody who's steadfast or godly. It is somebody who has, what's that? Love for that's what we see in Acts, Acts 2. It, 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 uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God. They've, they've been waiting. These disciples of Jesus have been waiting. There's just a handful, and there's not that many. And the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they just explode out into the world. And Peter preaches, and we read that 3,000 were added to the number, and that day by day, every single day, there was, there was new people coming to Jesus. And what do we see coming out of that, an attitude of love. They met together. How often? Do you remember? Day by day. Every single day. Meeting together in the temple courts. Receiving one another with glad and sincere hearts. Are you glad in all sincerity to be here this morning? Are you glad when you see brother or sister in Christ? There's a, I have this experience um, often because uh, I'm a bit of a nerd 
and I really like science fiction and comic books and, and these sorts of things. And I'll run into somebody, and, and they'll be a fan of, like, Firefly or something like that. And I'll be like, oh, you like Firefly? You, we start talking about episodes. You start talking about this or that. Or, you know, I'll meet somebody who likes Star Trek, and immediately we're best friends, right? Immediately. We start to, the first question, of course, who's the best captain? We all know it's Cisco, and that's, you know. But we, we'll, we'll have these great discussions, and, and this episode, and that episode, and man, I hear there's a new TV show. And we're like, best friends, I want to give this guy or girl a hug. They're, I'd give them anything, right? Like Star Trek. You might be football or something weird like that with you, but <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. You have some interest, you have some passion, and you meet somebody who shares that passion, and you're best friends. Why don't we have that attitude with other Christians? Why don't we have that? Why don't I meet somebody and they say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too. And what's your favorite verse of the Bible or something really nerdy like that? Like, why are we excited? I mean, I'm willing to be a complete and utter fool about Star Trek with some other person. And yet when it comes to talking about the Bible, we sort of keep it quiet. We don't want want to look silly. It's, It's a strange, strange way to live our lives. You should be stoked. Your names are written in the book of life. And you met somebody whose name is written in the book of life. you got to live with that person forever. Might as well get started now. Start talking. Become friends. I, 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 I love the church. I, I love you all so much. I do. There is nothing more exciting to me than Sunday nights when my house is invaded by a handful of you to eat my food and get in my fridge and make coffee, right? I... I there is nothing that is more exciting to me than, than coming on Sunday morning and sitting over here, standing over here, thanks Paul, uh, and hearing you all sing. There is nothing more beautiful in this world than when the saints gather to pray and to worship God. There's nothing. Jesus Christ gave his life that this would happen this morning. And I'm just puzzled. I am just puzzled by people who say, I love God, but they don't love the church. That makes sense to me. I don't understand it. I, I want to encourage you for a moment because I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir because I'm speaking about things that you all are already, you already know. We, we, uh, were, I was standing out here this last week and we had a guest in. I didn't get to talk to him long. He kind of buzzed by, but the, he stopped and he shook my hand. And he said, you know, you have a really friendly church. I had so many people coming up and talking to me and, and welcoming me. I just, I felt really welcome. And my heart grew three sizes that day. It was beautiful. I was just, I was just like, oh, that's right. You all do a really great job of loving one another. And I, and I get that. And I feel that here. But I want to also caution us. I want to caution us. Because it's really easy for us to sing a song, for Paul to say, uh, now it's time to greet one another, uh, and then you put your game face on. You start smiling, you start shaking hands, patting people on the back, right? Don't let your love cool. Don't let your love for one another be rote. Don't let the love that you have for one another be something you do because now it's time to love one another. No, from the time you walk in these, these doors, from the time you shake the first brother or sister's hand, I want you to greet one another with glad and sincere hearts. Let's make it real, It shouldn't be words for us. It should be what you experience because you've been going through this. You've been working. You've been learning. You've been greeting. You've been praying. You've been steadfast. You've been godly. And now it's time to worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Now it's time to greet them and to love them. That's the attitude that we should have. Jesus loves the church. In Ephesians, um, this is kind of a famous passage, Ephesians chapter 5 uh, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And we, we hear this, this, this text often within um, the framework of a sermon about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives isn't the point. Not the point at all. Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's using marriage as an illustration. An illustration of what? An illustration of the great lengths that God has gone to see his people gathered. What's it say? He gave himself up for the church. That he might wash the church clean. That he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or blemish or anything unholy, that we might be a people for him. You've been bought. We've been bought. This is an incredible place, an incredible group of people. Not a perfect people, not a perfect people, but an incredible group of people. So let me get to two principles then that I want to draw out from this this, this phrase, brotherly affection, and what we see in terms of God's love for the church. And that's, and that's two things. And the, and the first thing is, be careful how you talk about the church. You know, if, if you start speaking bad about my beautiful bride, uh, we're going to have issues. Right? In, in fact, one of the things that is so comical about um, being in ministry is that uh, eventually, re- usually very quickly... Um, sometimes even, uh, I'm, I'm not even out the door, and already I've got somebody who's got a criticism of some kind or another. Uh, and these things don't bother me, but Laura, she gets like, like feisty, like angry. Like, you, you, she's so sweet. You'd never think she gets angry, but, but if she sees somebody criticizing me, she gets like all, I don't know. Like, so be careful what you say, not to me, but around my wife, because she might bite you or something. She's crazy. <laughs> When we, when we have a relationship with somebody and that relationship is deep and meaningful, what do we want to do? Protect that person, don't we? If you speak evil about my daughter, I mean, she's a five-year-old and all five-year-olds are monsters. But, but it's, if you're really serious and we're, we're getting into like that, if, if I insult your kids, what do you, you're ready to fight with me, right? We, we protect things that we love. If you love the church, why don't you seek to protect it? I see all kinds of crazy things on, on social media and people posting about this controversy. Did you hear about this scandal? Don't, stop, right? Stop talking about scandals in other churches that you have no business in. That's not your church. And if it was at your church, you don't talk about it then either. Stop giving the church right, bad press. Be careful what you say about it. Listen, if Jesus died for the church so that he could take this church, this group of imperfect people who are only saved by the grace of Almighty God, if he's done all of that stuff for you and he's going to present you to himself, I'd be careful how you talk about the church. And let me bring it to a very controversial and second conclusion, and that is if you don't love the church, you don't love God. You don't love God. If, if the, the purpose of Jesus 
was his death, his resurrection, that he might purchase a people, that he might wash her and sprinkle her and present her to himself. And you say, you know what, I love you, God, but I don't have any use for your people. You're, you're a liar. You're a liar. What does he say? Jesus says, um, maybe I wrote it down. No, I didn't. Uh, he says, you, they will know you're my, my disciples, by the way, and I'm paraphrasing here, but by the way that you love one another, right? By the way that you love one another. And, and so here he's not speaking about the way that you love the world. He's not speaking about the way that you love the poor or, or how you might love your neighbor or how you might love your child. He's speaking specifically, if you are disciples, you will love one another. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love. Did you hear that? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we're all willing to say, yeah, that's great, I love that, that's good, and then we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Don't tell me that you love God and you don't love the church. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. Because what do we see here? All of this growth, all of these wonderful Christian virtues, all these practical and holy things that Peter has laid out for us. He said, begin to discipline yourself. Begin to live a life that's, that's amazing and, 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 and shines like, uh, like a light, like a star in the darkness. But all of this to, should lead you to what? Loving the church. And so in the end, what are we to be doing? In the end, we're be, to be the kind of people who love to be with the church, love to be with brothers and sisters. If I could force you to do one thing during the week, it, re- it wouldn't be coming to church Sunday morning. It wouldn't be Wednesday night. It would be that you plug into a small church. You plug in one of our small groups. That is where you will begin to build deep relationships. That's where you laugh and you learn. That's where you begin to open up to one another and you get to hear about the concerns and struggles. That's where you get to really dive in deep into growing your love for one another, right? You should be plugged into a small church. You should be plugged into one of our small groups. If you're not, you need to. You need to because it will revolutionize your faith. It will revolutionize your love. It will revolutionize your relationships and it will bring you to this place where you actually have this thing that Peter says, if you're a Christian, you should have brotherly affection, brotherly love. All of this leads us to this final word, agape, Agape. Now, the, the first one, as I said, focuses on the, the love that we have for one another. Filio is often used that way, the love that we have as humans. And agape is often uh, related to the way in which God loves us or we love God. It, it's, its, closest, um, its closest connection to Hebrew is the word chesed, which you might have heard of before as well. And this word appears all throughout the Old Testament, often translated steadfast love or unfailing love. Um, Exodus 20 verse 6 for instance says that God shows his steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments Psalm 5 7 says but I through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter into your house he's, he's speaking about worshiping I will bow down <coughs> toward your holy temple and fear you uh, Psalm 57 verse 10 your steadfast love is great to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds steadfast love shows up all over the place and and it communicates the idea of love when we use the word love we usually mean affection we usually mean how I feel about you and it carries that meaning agape carries that meaning but it also carries a meaning that we often don't use um, 
And that is faithfulness or loyalty. And this is how somebody could say, well, I, I, love, I love you and, and I marry you and a year later I'm done with you, right? I mean, that's, did you love that person? No, because love includes faithfulness. It includes my continuing in a life with this person, right? That's what marriage is. And, and again, this uh, is akin to what we have here in terms of God's faithfulness to us. God feels affection for us, but God is also faithful to us. He is loyal to us. How many of y'all didn't sin this week? Any, anybody make it? How many didn't have a day that you just said, you know what, I, I'm just, I'm staying in bed. I just, I don't, I can't do it. I don't want to, right? Right, we, we, we understand that it is a day-by-day event that I break the covenant that I have with God who bought me with the blood of his own son, right? I mean, it's an incredible thing to think that there was a moment when I was washed in the waters of baptism, right, that all these things that happened in the past, God has said, I forgive you for all those things that you have done, but he also knew when I went into the waters of baptism and washed the sins away that he was going to have to forgive me for all the things I will do. That's the incredible love of God, the faithful, the consistent, the steadfast love of God that he knows the sin that you are going to commit for the rest of your life. And he still says, today, I love you. I forgive you. I'm with you. I am for you. The promises that I have spoken, they're yours. That's the love of God. And that's the love that's being communicated here. You know, there's a place where Jesus uh, speaks about being perfect. He says, uh, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we say to ourselves, right? I I can't do that. But what we miss there is the context. Because the context isn't be perfect in all of your actions. The context is be perfect in your agape. Be perfect in your love. How can we be perfect in our love? It would be awfully difficult. Um, We have some practical advice from from Romans, Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us advice about uh, love here. And he says, let love be genuine. Right back to where we started. Right? Glad and sincere hearts. Let love be genuine, but also let love what? Abhor what is evil. Look at evil and be disgusted by it. Hate it. Hate it. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Here he uses uh, Philadelphia here. And outdo one another in showing honor. I know I've preached on this verse before, and I, I, I just have to bring it up because I love the idea. I just love the idea of it. I can tell Christians are really loving each other when they're trying to outdo one another in showing honor. Consider somebody else better than yourself, right? Get them the cup of coffee. Give them the seat, even though I know it's yours. Randy, don't complain when somebody takes your parking spot. All kinds of things that you can be doing to show one another, outdoing one another. And I, I thought there was going to fist fight between Randy and Paul this morning because Paul parked in his spot. And, you know, and he's bigger than you, man. A lot bigger than you. <laughs> Don't park in his spot next week. Just Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful with your zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. This is what love looks like. This is the love that we see in God for you. This is the love that you are to have for one another. 
I think often the reason that, that we're so, so slow and so terrible, so terrible in loving each other and loving the world is because we don't really recognize the depth of the love of God. So close your eyes for a second and imagine before you is two doors. Uh, one door on the left you are going to enter in a second and, and, and behind that door is God. You're going to meet God. All of his glory, all of his power, all of his wonder, you're going to meet God. What do you feel? What do you feel? Back off for a second from that. And on the door to your right, you're about to go through that door. And you're going to meet Jesus. You're going to meet Jesus. How do you feel? See, often I think, I think when we think of meeting Jesus, we think of uh, his love, we think of the cross, we think of the resurrection, we think of the depth that he's given. When we think of God, we think of judgment, we think of fierceness and fire and anger, we think of hell, we think of the imperfection that we have. But what does Jesus say? He says, I have come to reveal the Father. What you see in Jesus, all of the love, all of the power, all of the forgiveness, all that you see in Jesus, Jesus came so that you could see that it was God the whole time. The infinite, the almighty, the all-powerful, the great creator of heaven and earth sent Jesus so you would experience the depths, the height, the length, the breadth of his love. That you would see his love and you would be transformed by it. That you would come to him on your knees recognizing your sin, recognizing your imperfection, recognizing how undeserved we are in our broken and depraved lives and seeing that God is reaching out to us nonetheless in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that love is meant to lead us to the beginning of this, this list, faith. Because what is the requirement to receive that love. Is it, is, it, is it virtue? No. Is it knowledge? No. Is it self-control? No. Is it steadfastness? Goodness sakes. You all admitted you couldn't do that. Is it godliness? No. Is it brotherly affection? Is it agape? Is it love? No. It all begins right here. And then he leads us through this mighty chain, this mighty chain of of growth and expansion and holiness and knowledge of God and godliness and all these wonderful things to lead us to the point where we would finally become like God himself, loving to the very depths that God loves That you would see your enemies and love them. You would see your neighbors and love them. You would see your brothers and sisters in Christ. You would love them. And you would love them not with words but with deeds. Even if that deed was you dying for them. That's the depth of love that God has for you. That's the depth of love that you have in you. Because I know you're sitting here thinking, I can't do that. I don't have that. That's not true. It's not true. What did we read in Ephesians? That God has washed you. 
He has purified you. He has filled you. He has attributed these promises that he spoke to you. You have the Holy Ghost inside you. You are empowered to do every single thing up here. Not one thing on this list is impossible for you. For you have the power and the Spirit of God. So love one another. Love one another. With glad and sincere hearts, love one another. That's it. That's a message. That's it. That's all I got to say. Love one another. Love one another. Let's stand and sing. Let's praise God with all our being. Let's look around this room as you sing and realize that you are.